0: Welcome, everyone, ThinkTech Hawaii. It's Thursday afternoon, February twenty fourth, 2022. Welcome back. Afternoon for those of you in Hawaii, evening, or maybe even morning for those of you in other places. We have the very, very special good luck and blessing of having with us today a really long admired and valued friend and colleague. David Louie, former attorney general, partner at major Hawaii law firm, Kobayashi Sugita and Goda, and also an extraordinary woodworker, Uh, crafted bowls and other works of wood art. And we only have a half an hour, but David, what in your background and experience wound you up as attorney general for the state of Hawaii.
1: Hey, thanks for having me uh, on your show, Jack. Uh, It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, So, you know, my background uh, to become the attorney general was, you know, it was a meandering path. I never really planned on it, but um, there's a long tradition of public service in my family. Uh, my father was a minister, and then he worked for the uh, County of Los Angeles as a human relations consultant for 20 years. My mother was a nurse, and when I was in law school, I had a lot of friends uh, who pursued public service careers. Um, you know, doing all kinds of things, become judges. Uh, one of my roommates became the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, so there were there were a, a lot of people that provided role models for me. Uh, you know, I just was a lawyer. Uh, I, I um, uh, uh, just did, uh, you know, litigation, uh, fighting over money, and, and. Uh, but I always had an interest in issues, and in organizations, and in leadership uh, issues, and so I, you know, served with the Hawaii State Bar Association as, as a board of directors and president. I, I worked on some national organizations, the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association as a regional governor. I, I worked with the judiciary and I served um, in state government as a, uh, uh, I forget what they call this. I was a board member on the Aloha Tower Development Corporation for eight years, uh, appointed by Ben Cayetano and then later by... Uh, Uh, Governor Lingle. And so having that kind of experience gave me the preparation for assuming the job of the attorney general. It wasn't, you know, you can never be prepared uh, for taking on a job like that fully. Um, But it gave me a lot of good background and, and my litigation background gave me a lot of good background. And, and so I was, I was fortunate to do that. And, uh, you know it's uh opportunity is said uh, when when preparation meets chance and it you know it, i it just came along and it, it was by chance uh that i knew um governor abercrombie and i knew bill Kaneko, who was uh, governor abercrombie's campaign chair and uh, uh bill suggested that i apply and uh, i thought about it and eventually i did apply and, and eventually i was selected by the governor which was uh, really I'm grateful to him for putting his faith and trust in me. Um,
0: And and I'm sure the gratitude from Governor Abercrombie was at least as large, if not larger, going back toward you for the roles and challenges you took on. So we'll get to some successes and achievements in a minute. But what were some of the hardest things, biggest challenges and obstacles when you came in?
1: Well, uh, you know, the the major uh, challenge, I think, was the lack of money uh, when we first came into the uh, picture. Uh, uh, You know, government is always at this point in time uh, at a crossroads. You can either pay people salaries um, or you can try and do progressive things and try and fund programs, but you cannot do both really well. I mean, you you know, you try and do as much as you can. It's a balancing act. The legislature has to has to handle that. So one of the biggest challenges was lack of money. We were underwater. We we were coming in. This is the national mortgage crisis was full blown then in 2011. Uh, there was recession, um, and so that was that was really a difficulty. Um, and then the other thing was just you know learning the job. That was It was a very steep learning curve that the job of attorney general is a big job. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, there's a lot of legal issues and a lot of responsibilities. Um, and I was fortunate to have really great people at the EG's office to help guide me along the way and teach me uh, what I needed to know um, and and help me uh, make decisions and, and move the thing forward. So those were some of the tough tough things that, that came along and, and along the way, there are always challenges, you know, there's always challenges, people, people trying to push you around, uh, people trying to get their way. Um, I've always thought of government as, you know, and it's an apt analogy of, of like um, in Hawaii, because we used to have Kiku TV with the sumo wrestling. And I've always thought of government as a sumo match. You know, you have half naked and naked interests Pushing and shoving each other around a ring, seeking dominance, authority, money, influence, and power. And,
0: you know, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. And and in fact, you're an artisan in other respects as well. But so, what are some of the successes and achievements that mean the most to you for your legacy looking back?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for asking. You know, uh, the uh, the most important issues that that we uh, handled, I think, there's about five or six of them that I'm the most proud of, and and the first one is is same-sex marriage. We, uh, <clears throat> with the leadership of Governor Abercrombie and uh, the legislative leaders, uh, Senate President and and the House uh, Speaker, uh, we brought forward. Uh, the, the legislation to legalize same-sex marriage, which was, I, I think, a big deal. Yeah, I mean, this was on the heels of, of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in, in seminal cases that, that it was unconstitutional and illegal under the federal constitution uh, to discriminate against people uh, for same-sex marriage. Um, but still, it was a fractious, uh, uh, contentious, Kind of issue. Very people, very passionate on both sides of the issue. Uh, it was a special session, and and it was long and <clears throat> arduous, and demonstrations every day, and very noisy. Um, but I was very pleased to be part of it because it was a social justice issue. It was a matter of equality, of opportunity, and equality of marriage. And and uh, when Governor Abercrombie held the ceremony to sign. The bill into law, he read this letter from a a a personal friend of his that said, uh, "Thank you, Um, you know, we were invisible before, and now we are seen," and and you know that that was really moving. I I I was very impressed uh, on that. And then you know the other signature issues that I was involved in were the national mortgage crisis. We got seventy million dollars. Uh, for Hawaii out of the National Mortgage Settlement. I worked with uh, the AGs of all uh, 50 states as well as the federal government to um, change mortgage foreclosure procedures uh, and 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 get a bunch of money to help people uh, because of, of the problems. And then we, we settled a number of uh, cases. We settled the OHA. Uh, there was a dispute with OHA that had been lingering for for 30 years over back due revenues from seeded lands. I noticed on the feed this morning there's a bill up in front of the legislature to try and uh, figure out this going forward but we were able to resolve a claim that had been festering for 30 years and and get that done and I thought that was important because you know uh, native Hawaiians have not done as well in their own homeland as many of the other people who live here the Caucasians, the Asians, the Japanese, the Chinese and and, and so uh, there's there's been a, a sense of disenfranchisement and and uh, you know not doing as well. So it's important that we recognize that and help you know resolve some of these issues with native Native Hawaiians. Um, and then I was really proud that we were able to get a um, Uh, conservation easement on 665 acres up at uh, Turtle Bay to prevent um, hotels and houses and things like that and keep the country country.
0: So we got a question from a viewer asking what do you think is in the way of uh, Hawaii being able to work something out with its cannabis industry to overcome the obstacles posed by the federal legislation and restrictions?
1: And that's a great question and a very interesting question. You know, um, uh, federal law is at odds with state law. State law allows uh, medical marijuana here. Uh, There's a number of states that allow recreational marijuana. Um, And we have legalized uh, uh, this. But, But because we're an island, you cannot transport under federal law you cannot transport marijuana over the water uh, and you cannot do it by air uh, it violates federal law and so it would be good if the legislature can uh, um, enable some kind of of um, legislation that will allow that and then we still have to work with the federal government because it's you know if you're still subject to federal criminal penalties, that's not a good thing. Um, So uh, up in Alaska, they allow uh, 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 transport by airplane, but it's kind of a wink and nod kind of a thing that the feds don't ask and nobody tells. Um, and, And so they do that. I'm not sure that that would occur here in Hawaii. Uh, but we need to do something to make marijuana available to people for medical needs as they want and and you know it's not the, the demon drug that would lead to a life of of uh, debauchery or, or uh, you know uh, worthlessness that that, uh, that 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 was the common wisdom back when you and I were in college uh, Chuck uh, but that's not the truth.
0: <laughs> so so. Some of the major things that you were able to be instrumental in helping to resolve during your time as AG have been out there for a long time. What do you think got those over the top? And you know that's, that that's interesting,
1: and and I'm not gonna, I can't possibly take credit uh, for these things. I I got to. March in the parade and actually in some ways lead the parade. But quite frankly, the issues that we resolved the Oha settlement, the same sex marriage, the Turtle Bay conservation easement, many people were laboring in the trenches long before I stepped in and and they were helping push the ball forward. Um, You know, people come together and they try and make change happen. and, And you do that one of the things that I have always thought was important was cut the deal, okay? Cut the deal. So, so like on the conservation thing, uh, the conservation easement, um, they were, there, were, there was a bunch of talk, it was complicated, but there was no deal. And I came in and, and I sat down and, and uh, worked with the parties and we cut a deal. We were able to cut the deal. It's, you know, It wasn't perfect. It wasn't everything we wanted. Nothing ever is, but, you know, I've always taken the example, uh, if you read uh, Lyndon Johnson's biographies by Robert Caro, that Lyndon Johnson prided himself on being able to cut the deal, as opposed to somebody who was speechifying, and he, he, he had a certain disdain and contempt for Hubert Humphrey, who gave great speeches, but couldn't get the legislation passed, and Lyndon Johnson Yeah, his speeches weren't great, and a lot of people criticized him, and a lot of people didn't like him, but he could get the deal done, Uh, (laughs) and so I think it's always, you know, politics is the art of the possible, Uh, you know, so it's always important to make the deal. Uh, Don't walk away. I'm very disappointed in, in some of the people nationally who think that purity of thought is better than having a deal. Um, uh, so I'm a, I'm more of a pragmatist.
0: So that's a great insight, David, is that the results that are sustainable and pervasive are are not litigated determinations. They're negotiated determinations. What enabled you, what people and Circumstances made it possible for you to become a master negotiator, and you are now one of Hawai'i's leading mediators, using that master negotiating skill.
1: Well, uh, you know that's nice of you to say that. Um, basically, I've been toiling in the trenches. Uh, I, you know, I've I've tried a lot of cases. Uh, I've mediated a lot of cases. I've been in a lot of settlement uh, conferences and a lot of mediations. Uh, but, but part of the thing is, is just that I would, I, I've always been willing to get my hands dirty, jump down into the trench and fight it out. And, and quite frankly, it's that, you know, you get in there and you're a trench fighter. And once you know that and you understand what the push points are for the other side, what your own push points are, and then you try and figure out, can, can we cut a deal? Um, you know, uh, that that's, that's the whole point. And, 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 uh, uh, and avoid all the the fighting, uh, or or avoid most of the fighting, or some of the fighting, and and get a deal done. I mean, uh, a lot of this is leverage. People are just pushing and shoving, and seeing who who, who can you know create leverage. And and at some point, you just got to relax and try and say, okay, what's the best deal we can
0: get? So, in your book. Uh, One of the things authors can do, and you do well, is share stories. A good friend of ours, Peter Adler, read your book, and he said it's terrific. So here's a public endorsement of it. But in addition to that, there are lessons learned that certainly you took pains to share with people. What are some of those that your book tries to get out there and share?
1: you know, and thanks for asking about the book. Uh, you know, uh, writing a book is always uh, uh, both an exercise in vanity and a labor of love and an attempt to make sense of what happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, just trying to put it all into perspective and figure out, well, what the heck happened here? Um, and so so that was a good exercise for me. And I, I enjoyed that. I, I think, you know, in terms of the Best advice and the and the that was given to me and the lessons learned. One of the things that um, that uh, I got from a, a U.S. A retired Judge Charles Breyer, uh, the, the brother of, of Stephen Breyer, the, the Supreme Court Judge, um, but Charles Breyer told me this story about this this legendary. I want to say fixer, because that back 50 years ago, that's what they were. They were fixers. They were consigliaries, but but they could make things happen. And there was this legendary guy who was a confidant of Pat Brown, Governor Pat Brown of California, national figures. And he carried a little small paper notebook in his pocket. And when people would ask him for a favor, he would write it down. and And then, but then the secret was, He always tried to do something immediately so that if somebody asked him for a favor, if they had gone out of their way to ask him for a favor, he knew that if you immediately acted on that, that, and and in fact, if you got a result, if you picked up the phone, you called somebody and then you got a result right there, that person would think you were a magician, okay? And they would be forever grateful that you had taken the time out of your day to do something for them and had gotten an immediate result. And even if you didn't get an immediate result, the fact that you were willing to try was very important to them. But if you waited a day, a week, a month, even if you got a great result, um, the curve of gratitude goes down with time. You know, and then they, you know, And if the person had to call you up again and say, hey, what about my thing? Um, you know, it, it just wouldn't be as good. And, and part of the thing is, is, is that, and I always like to say this when I became AG, I said, well, be nice to all the people on your way up because you really hope that they'll be nice to you on the way down. Um, and, and it's really all about the people. I mean, that's how a lot of things get done is people do things for, pe- for people who are their friends or people that they like well, and now they won't go out of their way. And we're not talking about doing things illegally and and doing things immorally or unethical. But people do not like anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Back in those days, you could do that stuff. Uh, but but you know, people do like to to uh, assist people who who are friendly. And so uh, that was the that was an important piece of advice I got. And and the other important piece of advice I got from was from John Radcliffe, who said put yourself out there just put yourself out there if people if you if people are thinking about trying to serve in government or be a leader or even in an organization just put yourself out there and volunteer get skills get get experience um, work in a nonprofit and and the thing that John said was is that he ran for Congress he went for Congress and and um, and he got clobbered he said he said it was terrible <laughs> But when he picked himself up after after losing badly, he said people came up to him and said, you know, I really appreciated that you were willing to speak up, that you had the guts and the to go out there and try and put yourself out there. And people respected that. And his career took off, you know, and, and he, he was working and he got a lot of positive feedback from a lot of people. Uh, John was one of the, the most successful Uh, union people in this state ever and one of the most successful lobbyists in this state ever. And uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, You know, he he passed away. But he was a great man.
0: You know, and John did something that you and few others have managed to do, which is to build respect, admiration, and appreciation among really diverse sectors of people. And, And That's a gift, I'm not sure you can teach it. But in your years in key state leadership, decision-making, seat at the C-suite table in state government, looking at where we are now, what's out there right now that most concerns you that deserves the highest priorities in your view?
1: Yeah, you know, there's so many issues, so many critical issues on the table. It was I I, I was thinking about this concept the other day and and there's this song from Hamilton, the musical that that I I love. It's called uh, um, something uh, I I forget. Anyway, the, the, the word, the wording of the song is look around, look around how lucky we are to be alive today. And that that was true, you know, back in the Revolutionary War, but it's true today. You look around, look at all the advances in technology, look at all the advances in social justice, look at all the great things that are happening, uh, that, you know, and and the opportunities that that people have now that they didn't have 30, 40, 50 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, And yet, paradoxically, we also have forces of evil and darkness you have mr Putin declaring war in ukraine you have the the january 6th insurrectionists trying to drag this country back into the 1800s where they could discriminate against people of color um, you have people vying for dominance and to trying to subjugate other people and to try and deprive them of their rights and and you know it's terrible so there's all kinds of terrible things out there but there's all kinds of fabulous, great things out there. And so there are opportunities. Um, so as far as what I think for this state, for Hawaii, I think, you know, Hawaii's a really special place. Hawaii has been very, very good to me. And Hawaii is a unique place because we, we have this culture of acceptance, of, uh, you know, mediators actually do very well here because there's this, it's a larger community culture of treating people with dignity and respect uh, and and trying to be inclusive. And I think part of that comes from the Native Hawaiian culture and part of that comes from just the fact that there are all these amalgamated uh, uh, communities, the, the Chinese, uh, the Japanese Americans who, who came to work on the plantations, the Filipinos who came and then settled here to have families, and and the fact that there's been all this intermarriage. And so people. Treat each other with respect in Hawaii, which is not always the case in a lot of places on the mainland, if you don't look like uh, you're one of the majority culture. Um, and so it's really important in my mind that Hawaii maintain and preserve that that cultural aspect of treating people with respect. There's all kinds of problems, uh, whether it's climate change or Red Hill uh, or... or um, you know, uh, highways, you know, there's always going to be problems. But how we approach the problems, how we try to solve the problems so that we all live together in in harmony going forward, those are those are the important things to me.
0: Hey, and that raises the question in these times, is that harder now? than it was when we were younger?
1: Why? Um, yeah, you know, I think it's harder and easier. Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's a paradox kind of a thing. And sometimes harder, sometimes easier. Uh, they're, they're both. Uh, we, we face some tremendously huge problems today. Tremendously huge. Uh, uh, problems that really only uh, concerted government action and private action can solve. Uh, and hopefully we'll continue to be able to do that. Um, that's really, uh, my hope and my wish uh, that, that we'll be able to do that. You know, there, there's a lot of forces trying to drag us all down, trying to separate us, trying to, trying to smash that, that consensus and the idea of a shared future together. But, um, I think there's enough people out there that that believe in it that, that we can persevere.
0: Fantastic. So David with your decades of experience what's your vision? Where do you see us going? What's it going to take to get there?
1: Um, in the way. <laughs> You know, that, and, and that's, that's the $64,000 question, uh, or the $64 million question uh, these days. $1,000 doesn't buy you as much a, a, anymore. Um, how are we going to solve these problems? How are we going to solve climate change? I mean, there's global forces uh, and things that happen outside of the shores of Hawaii, um, but the, the thing that, you know, uh, you can only control what you can control. Right. And and uh, so we're all we're going to have to adapt. We're all we don't know what's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen with climate change. Uh, I think, fortunately, war is not on our doorstep uh, like it is on the people of Ukraine. Um, And and uh, fortunately, you know, we're we we still have, you know, some good things going for us. Tourism is a very good engine. The military is a very good engine. Some people don't like either. Uh, But but they really help. Um, And so I, I come back to how do you approach the problems? How do you approach getting solutions that are negotiated solutions that everybody can live with and live for over the long haul, over the long term? Not just a zero sum game of I win today and you lose, but we both win. We both win together.
0: That's a great response. We're out of time for today, but thanks, David Louis, and for bringing us, if there's not an answer, there's at least a direction. If we're going to get to that vision, it's going to be together, it's going to be collaboratively. And I think you've brought out in ways that those of us who have known you for a long time can appreciate, it has to be the Hawaiian way, in the truest sense of aloha. David, thank you for all your work, all your service, your thoughts, your insights. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Come back and see us again next time. Thank you so much, Chuck. Aloha. Pleasure.